Well, welcome to Real Life Church. We're so glad you're here. What I want you to do real quick before we get started is take out your phone and check into Real Life Church. Let people know that you're joining us today. Also want to remind you about all of our social media content. Make sure to like and share it and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let's just prepare our hearts today for all that God wants to do. We're glad that you're joining us right here at Real Life Church. Let's get into the word today, rest on us. Uh, as we saw, and even in the song that we sang today, the Holy Spirit was resting upon the water. He was resting upon the deeps, the dark. And God began to speak and create out of what was void and empty. Now, you may think today that your life is void and empty, that there's nothing going on. But God doesn't create things and just leave them in darkness and void. He sends his word. He sent God and he sent his son, Jesus. In John, it says the word came and it was flesh and it dwelt among us. That was Jesus. He came. So we see in Genesis, we see the father who created all things, who keeps things in order. We see the Son, the Word, as God spoke. And we see the Spirit hovering over the depths of the water, waiting for the creative power to move water into land, to make darkness light, and to make something useful out of what was already in existence you see, God has placed his DNA within all of us. The identity of God is in every person in this room. Just, just like if you have your mask on, you can take it off for just a second. But look at that person in their blues or baby blues or browns and just tell them, man, you are, you are amazingly made in the image of God. Just tell them. You look good too. Tell them they're handsome, whatever, beautiful. Just greet them. You see, when we... When we identify and we see the image of God in the people around us, then we're seeing like God. You see, every tongue, creed, culture carries the identity of what God spoke in Genesis within them. And we want his spirit to rest on them. We want his spirit to rest upon us. In your Bibles, if you turn real quickly or put in to your, uh, your phone, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, I want to talk to you a little bit about this passage of Scripture. It's the one that the Lord reminds me of on a daily basis. It says this in verse 24. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I like that part of it. Like, okay, like, I'm going to align with you, Holy Spirit. The first part I don't care for, right? Because it's important for the second part to take place. My desires, my flesh, my appetites, my passions, the things I want to go my way have to be crucified with Christ. So that my heart is in tuned 
and ready and available, just like Jesus when he was baptized. He yielded to something that he didn't even have to do. Remember, he was perfect and blameless, had nothing to repent of. He had nothing wrong in his life. But even Jesus surrendered his and yielded his will to dying and being raised again so that he could come out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased it was then that he walked in the spirit. It was then that he was led by the spirit. He, he was led by the spirit all the time. But in that moment, something changed and shifted in his life. And as we're going through this series, you're going to see the key to all of this spirit-filled life that we talk about is my ability to yield to the spirit. So in the book of Judges, it's an interesting book because as Israel would fall away from the Lord, he would bring judges. He would bring a judgment against them, but he would also bring judges to defend them. So when they would, so when they would fall away again from the Lord, he would put them in oppression of their enemy. And then in the middle of that, he would bring a deliverer. Aren't you glad for the deliverance of the Lord? I like that part. But the part we want to get to is the not falling away. The part that we want to live in and the Israelites had a hard time following was sticking, allowing their heart to be close and stay in, uh, stay in relationship or in confidence in the Lord. The, the book of Judges is basically, was basically written between the time of Joshua and before King Solomon. I mean, King Saul, I'm sorry. King Saul and Solomon and David. So before the lineage of Saul, before they had a king, there was these judges that God would raise up to defend and bring back the heart of Israel back to God. It seemed like there was this constant struggle, and maybe we can identify this, of our hearts drifting, our hearts becoming familiar, our hearts becoming too accustomed to. I, I know we can identify with that because we really got accustomed to meeting together on a regular basis, right? And because of COVID, we weren't able to. And I can tell you, man, there were things that I missed about that time, like hearing the chatter of people connecting relationship together. Those things that we take for granted and our heart and our propensity and our bent is to, as human beings, is to take it, take for granted even God himself. Oh, he'll be there when I need him and he will. But our hearts drift and so did the Israelites and in Judges chapter 13 is where we're going to be picking up. And it's a story of Samson. So today I get to preach one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's an amazing story of power and might and what the Holy Spirit can do in an individual life, but also a family as they yield to the presence of God and he comes and rests upon them. So I want to read in Judges chapter 13. 
beginning in verse 1. Again, say again. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Not a sentence that I want to start a story about me. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. But I can tell you, there if they were to write a book, there would be agains in my life. And part of the journey that we're on is to defeat the agains. Is to get the agains out of our life. To remove the agains of doubt. Remove the agains of failure. But it said they did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines. Who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Mona from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and had no child. So here we have it. The picture, barrenness, formless. But the spirit of God is hovering. The angel of the Lord appeared to Mona's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. And he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Now, now we, you might have heard the word Nazarite vow. That is what Samson was. He had a Nazarite vow. That means that there were certain things that he was consecrated to in his life. There were certain things that he couldn't do that other people can do. How many of you has God called you at moments in your life to a Nazarite vow? Like everybody else can do it, even Christians. But God says for you, you can't do that. I knew a pastor that couldn't eat chocolate cake. And I prayed for him, Lord, God, man, as I'm eating mine. But he felt like for him that the Lord had said not to do that. It was a Nazarite vow. It was a vow before the Lord, a consecration of his life to do something that God was asking him personally. See, sometimes we want to generalize the word of God and like, I'm just in the middle and God never asks extra things of me. Extraordinary people are usually people who God asks to do extraordinary things. Now, that was really weak. When God raises up extraordinary people, he expects extraordinary effort. He expects extraordinary things in their life. That's what he was doing here in Samson's life. Even before he was conceived in his mother's womb, God was already saying he's going to be consecrated because he's special. And there's moments in our life where God will speak to us and he'll say, Everybody else can do that, but I don't want you to. 
And that is so frustratingly hard. Can somebody say, man, please, are you guys awake? We're, we, we God, everybody else can do it. Why me? Why are you picking on me? Because God wants to do something extraordinary. God is setting you up. God is setting you up to do something that no one else can do. God is setting you up to be someone that no one else is. We always say we want to be different. When I was in youth ministry, I always heard kids say that, man, I don't want to go with the flow. I want to be different. But they all dress the same. They all listen to the same music. They cut their hair the same. I mean, we would see the fashions of the, of, of the culture change in our youth group. And everybody was saying, I want to be different. Well, being different means that we have to do extraordinary things sometimes in our life. And there's things that God pulls us back. And we were doing in a season and God says, not in this season. Because what happens is when we depend on what happened in one season and the next, it turns into ordinary. And God's not after the same-o, same-o. He's after the extraordinary. Extraordinary people are asked to do extraordinary things. He asked his mother, he said, and he told his mom, not his dad. I'm sorry, guys, because moms will enforce what God says. And so he said, tell, he is not to do these things. He's not to be intoxicated with life, with the pleasures of life. Because God saw something in Samson that his mother didn't even see in that moment. He saw the propensity that he would have to be pulled, to veer. Have you ever veered? The things in our life that pull us, the things that bother us, the, the, the people, that, the personalities that cause us to veer. The habit that causes us to, causes us to veer. She wasn't just satisfied with hearing from the Lord. She asked the Lord for the angel to come back and talk to her husband because her husband probably thought she was crazy. But he shows up. And he gives the instructions and now he gets into more detail. He tells them like, this is how it has to be laid out. I'm giving you something special that will be a deliverance to you. Now there's several times in the story of Samson and trust me, I'm not going to go through the entire three or four chapters that go through the story, but I want to show you something in each of the stories of Samson. And I want to show you something that happens right after it. Samson, it says that as he began to grow in Judges chapter 13, verse 24 and 25, it says, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him, begin to stir him. That word stir just means that he began to have a sensing of the presence of God. There has to be a sensitivity to the presence of God if he's going to rest on our life. Because if we don't have a sensitivity to his presence, then there's not going to be a yielding to his presence. 
You can be in the same room where the presence of God is and miss him. If you're not yielded and you're not sensitive. But it says as a young boy that as he grew up, that the spirit of the Lord began to stir in his life. He knew that there was something beyond himself. There was something that God was moving within him. As Samson grew up to be a strong, I can just imagine burly, just good looking guy. But his strength wasn't in his mass. His strength was in one thing. We know his hair, right? What a weird thing to put your strength in. But God said that he couldn't cut his hair. And the reason was it was a vow and a covenant between him and the Lord. It wasn't about the length of his hair. So don't run out and try to have a Nazarite vow and just grow your hair long. That will not give you strength. I wish I would try it. I'd do a mullet if it would make me stronger. I would do anything. But we are not getting strength from external. What was the strength and the power was resting upon the Spirit's ability to come upon the covenant of what God had said would happen. The power and the strength was in the word of the Lord to his wife, not in what he did outwardly. The outward was a symbol of what was happening internally as God stirred him. And Samson, as they were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. And the moment, and it says, at that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. The spirit of the Lord came upon him to rip a lion's jaws in half. I'm sure Sean could tell you how hard that would be. But when the spirit of the Lord comes upon your life powerfully, say powerfully, when the roaring lion comes, the one that comes to seek, to kill, steal, and destroy, the one that comes and he roars, it says he comes to roar, seeking whom he can devour. But when the Spirit of God comes upon his people powerfully, the roar of the lion won't work in their life. They will use the power and the strength within their life to rip the lion's jaws apart so it can't roar anymore. You see, that's what Samson did. When things came to attack him, he didn't run for the hills or call his pastor. He stood in the spirit and the power of the Lord. You can call me, it's okay. You can text me. But I'm probably not coming over to face your lion. If there are lions we're gonna have to face, and we do one of two things when we face lions. We either cower or we get courage. The power of the Lord came upon Samson powerfully. And he made one lion too. 
split him right down the middle. And can I say that God wants to give us the power of those things that roar against us, those doubts that come out of the vineyards of our life and begin to put doubt in our heart, begin to put fear into, into our heart, that begin to destroy intimacy between us and God, that would tell us that God doesn't even love us, that he doesn't care, that we are able to come in the spirit of the Lord powerfully and defeat the enemy. Then in Judges 14, 19, <laughs> Samson off the kill of the lion creates a riddle at a party. He likes a girl at the party. He's trying to impress her. Ever been there, guys? Creates a riddle. And he says, if you can give this riddle, they place a, they wager a bet on clothing of all things. And he says, hey, I'll give you so much clothing if you can tell me the answer to this riddle. They go to his the one that he wants to marry and they bribe her. It says that they come back and they answer the riddle. And he said, if you hadn't <laughs> if you hadn't been with my heifer, you wouldn't have known the answer to the riddle. Now, I would never call a woman that, but that's what the Bible says. He says, you, you, you know because you've, you, you got the information from someone else. And it says, but the spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully and he wipes out these guys in the village, the Philistines, and he takes their clothes to pay off the bet. Then in Judges 15, 14 through 17, as Samson is going down and he has just taken 300 fox and he has lit their tail on fire and they have ran through fresh wheat fields and he's destroyed the enemy. They are ticked off. And so they coerce his own people to deliver him into their hands. And so they come and they tell Samson, man, you got to knock it off, dude. You are killing us with those people that rule over us. They said, we got to bind you up and turn you over the enemy. So they put ropes on him because they promised not to kill him. And as they're going along, the Philistines have a big smile on their face. And they're shouting in triumph. That's what Judges chapter 15, verse 14. They're shouting in triumph. We finally got him. And it says the spirit of the Lord comes upon him, say it with me, powerfully, powerfully. This isn't just a touch from the Lord. This is a powerful touch from the Lord. There was a powerful burst of energy that came upon Samson that was superhuman, that allowed him to do something that most humans could not. And he snapped the ropes with his arms and he burned with that were burned with strands of flax that fell from his wrists. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey and he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. You see, God will take what is oppressing you and he will raise up someone in the power of, of the spirit that will take whatever is available to take and take that to be a weapon against the, against the enemy.
See, some of the times we're praying for things that we think will be the right weapon for the job. Samson just grabbed the thing that was closest to him. It happened to be a dead donkey. And as he put that in his hand, it became an instrument of judgment against his enemy. And to this day, that hill is called Jawbone Hill, where a thousand enemies were killed by Samson. But I want to point something out to you. Samson, through all the power of the Spirit, and this is what happens as the Spirit rests upon our life. And this is where we have to be careful. You see, Samson developed an eye problem. Samson developed an eye problem. Look what he says. Look what he says in verse, um, we'll just read from verse 16. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of the donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. When he finished his boasting, he threw away the jawbone and the place was named Jawbone Hill. Notice what's happening in Samson's life. He's developing an eye problem. I've. There's no recognition of the power of God. There's no recognition of God who gave him the power, who came on him mightily. And the danger of being used by God, the danger of having God rest upon our life is that we can develop an eye problem as well. We somehow think that our talent, our ability, our great preaching, <laughs> our, our, our music, our worship, our production pr- creates a momentum that brings people to Christ. We can develop an eye problem. Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 3, 34 says he mocks the proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Samson developed an eye problem. He was reading his own press. But God's spirit was still on him. You see, even though God won't share his glory with you, he will try to bring humility through your life, into your life. He ends up losing his wife to his best man at the wedding. It creates a big rift, not only between him and his friend, but in his heart. He's dealing with pain that is causing him to have to overcompensate and begin to hump himself up into something that God has made him. You see, Samson's eye problem led to wrong assumptions and personal indulgences. His eye problem led to wrong assumptions and personal indulgences. He falls in love with a Philistine woman by the name of Delilah. Remember her? 
They've written songs about this lady, Delilah. His heart was drawn to this woman. And I've always said, what has your ear has your heart. What has your ear has your heart. The sweet nothings of Delilah's whisper in his ear began to pull his heart. And the combination of his eye problem with the affirmation of a woman's ear began to cause a drift in his life. And that eye problem began to undercut the source of his strength. He began to play with what God had given him. He began to play with the covenant. He began to toy with the covenant. And we know the story that she asked him because they're going to pay her a thousand, a thousand pieces of silver. They're bribing her to get to him. Tell us where his source of strength is. We can't figure it out. And so he plays with her and he says, oh, if you take seven new bowstrings, talking bowstrings, not like violin bowstrings, like bowstrings that you shoot an arrow. If you take those and you bind me with them, I become as weak as any other man. So what does she do? She binds him with these seven new bowstrings. And the Bible says she calls out, the Philistines are upon you. Of course, he jumps up and breaks the bowstrings and she realized that she's been deceived. And she gets mad and she said, why would you lie to me about that? Why would you embarrass me like that? And she says, please tell me, please tell me what would get take away your strength? What is the source of your strength? He says, okay, if you take new ropes, and you bind me with them. They've got to be brand new. I'll become as weak as any other man. And, he, and so they buy, she binds him up and she yells, the Philistines are coming. They rush in. He breaks the ropes and she realizes again that she's been deceived. Now he begins to flirt with the true source of his strength. She goes, I'm tired of your deception. Now it's getting serious. Like they're having serious talks now. Maybe you've had those with your spouse or significant other. And, and, and she's like, you're going to tell me all about this. You're breaking my heart. She's crying. You know, she's giving the puppy dog eyes and he's getting wore down. She says, okay, if you weave fabric with the loom into my hair, how ridiculous this must have looked. I become as weak as any other man. But notice the progression He begins way out here. I'm not touching the covenant, but maybe I can come in a little bit closer because I'm starting to lose the thing that is calling my affection. And then he says, well, if I tell her about the hair, but I do something different with the hair, then I'm still keeping the covenant. And I know I won't lose my strength. So she weaves the, <laughs> weaves the fabric into the hair and, and they, she calls 
the Philistines are upon you. He jumps up with these new braids. I would have been so mad. He's got fabric in his hair and uh, no strength loss. Then it gets real. Because I believe in the conversation that he has with Delilah, that it's like, you're going to tell me the source of your strength. She begins, the Bible says she begins to pout. You see, the thing of your affection has a pout. And if you can't spot the pout and the manipulation of the pout, it will take your strength. It will take your covenant, it will take what your source of strength is because there's very few people that can resist a pout. Let me tell you about a pout. My basset hound (laughs) has a pout. When those eyes look up at you and they're big and brown and those droopy ears, and she looks so pathetic, and she begins to sing to you songs of love towards you (laughs) as she's desiring the thing that she loves more than you, which is a treat. She's manipulating your heart with a pout. You see, if the enemy can't directly take you out, he'll pout you out. You'll get the thing that you love to get you off course. He'll use a relationship that you've had for years to cause your heart to drift so that you lose your source of strength because you're afraid that you're going to lose the thing that's pouting at you. Man, just remember that when you're on aisle Eight at Toys R Us. I don't think Toys R Us exists anymore. Walmart, when your kids are screaming for toys and they're pouting and they're screaming and they're doing that. Remember this message because that is what it's about is it will scream louder. It will cry louder. It will say, you don't like me. You don't love me until you touch your source of strength and you give it away. And that's what happens in Samson's life. He gives into the pout and in the giving of the pout, he loses his strength. He thought he had gained the world. I got the woman, my heart desired. And where did that come from? Remember, he was injured before. And so he was going to do anything in his life because of the pain in his life to keep this relationship. And he compromised. And in that moment of compromise, she shaves his head. He went from Fabio to Mr. Clean. And she cries out, the Philistines are upon you. Your enemies are upon you. And he jumps up and he's as weak as any other man. His strength has left him. Why? Because his covenant is broken. The word to him is broken. God's word. God didn't break his word, but he broke his word to God. And in that moment, the judger becomes judged. By the breaking of his word. You see, Samson's eye problem left to eye problems. 
What did they do to him? They rushed in and they took his physical eyes. You see, when the pout takes us out, then what happens in our life is the enemy takes the vision from our heart. He removes our ability to see spiritually. He removes our ability to see what God is doing, what God is saying, and how God sees us. So we lose our identity. And when we don't see our identity, then we take on a false identity. And it says that they bound him with bronze chains and they forced him to grind wheat in a prison. So not only did he lose his vision physically, he lost his identity as as one that was vindicating Israel, but he ended up in bondage and in fruitless cycles. He was grinding wheat that he could not eat. Oh, it rhymes. Imagine the torture and personnel of going through the motions of creating something that is fruitless. That's what bondage does. It's going in circles and expecting the same result. That's what we say about insanity. It's, It's an insane motion, a perpetual cycle in our life of doing something over and over because he had an eye problem. Bible says, for lack of vision, my people perish. It is the same way in our life. For a lack of the ability to see what God says about us, the ability to see what God's doing in the earth, we also end up in fruitless cycles. But verse 22 is the most powerful verse in this story. But before long, But before long, I love the but before longs in the Bible. Because today I might be in bondage and I might be going in circles. And my family and my finances might feel like I'm doing something that is fruitless and will never produce anything. But before long. What happens? A little bit of the promise and covenant begins to grow back. I can't see it, but I can feel it. I can't see it with my eyes anymore. I don't even know if it's real. And I've got to even ask other people, can you see the fuzz? of what was coming back to my life, but before long. See, some of us right now, we're in that season, but before long. It's a but season. But before long. And you are in the same position as Samson was. You're in the same position of, of, I had a covenant. I had something going on in my life. I I compromised. I fell. I, I blew it. But before long, the covenant begins to grow. I can't see it, but I feel it. And month after month, as he is 
doing something fruitless, he begins to notice something about him as he stayed committed to the covenant and God begin to hover over his life, his strength begin to return. And what was keeping him in a cycle of bondage and what was hard for him became a little bit easier. But before long, he began to be able to push with a little greater strength each day, every centimeter of growth create a strength back in his life. Why? Because God was restoring the covenant. You see, when God rests upon our life, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've gone, Second Timothy says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And you can take that to the bank. And if we were to take a poll this morning, we're not. We've all been there. For he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny the identity. He cannot deny what he's put into his vessels. He can't deny his word. Remember, a covenant is a word towards you of what you're to be. It's an unbreakable contract with God and as he saw the growth day by day in Samson's life it wasn't very long till he was standing in front of the mockers they were throwing a party because they had thought they had taken out the biggest problem they had they had just created another And they bring him into an arena, into a hall where they're throwing a party. It says that there was a canopy or roof. There was 3,000 people in this room. It says some were on the roof and they were cheering at Samson as they brought him in. It says they're intoxicated, they're drunk, they're, they're just partying it up because they've gotten victory over the enemy. And maybe you feel just like that. Like I blew it and my enemy's laughing at me. I can't see what God wants me to see. I don't feel God resting on my life. Look what happens. They bring him in and he asks the young boy that's taking care of him because he can't see anymore. But he's got a partner that will bring him into the promise. He says, put my hands on the pillars. And he begins to pray. See, Samson moves out of an eye problem into an acknowledgement of God. This is the first time that we find in three chapters that he prays. Now, he probably did before. But it says that Samson prayed to the Lord. He said, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Another translation says, do you remember me? How many have felt like that? Do you remember who I am? He says, do you remember who I am? He says, do you remember your word? 
says, oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. And with one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. They took my vision. They took my dream. They took my ability to see clearly. They affected my sensitivity. But God, give me the ability with one blow to pay back the Philistines for what they've taken. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars and held up the temple and pushing against him on both sides, he prayed, he prayed this, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had done during his entire lifetime. And I know we applaud that story. And we will never probably be chained to a mill working like Samson. And we may never push over a building on our enemies. Now, some of us wish we could, right? But there are things that can die in us with those things that are uncircumcised. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Samson moved from a place of death into life. He moved from a place of covenant into promise. What God had designed and created him to be, the spirit rested upon. And in that moment, he went out in the blaze of glory. He impacted lives like a meteor striking a planet and leaving a crater. He did what God intended him to do, even though it cost him his last breath. The truth is that no matter how we veer, no matter where we walk, it is never too late for God's spirit to rest upon us. And today as we go to the Lord's table and as we think about what God has done in our life and we remember the price that he paid, he paid it so that we could have proper identity in Christ, that his spirit could lead us as we walk according to his heart and as we crucify those things those works of the flesh so Lord today as we come to your table we're reminded Lord that your spirit is hovering and it's looking for a place to rest. We say today, let it rest on us. Let the power of God be upon us. Let, it, let your spirit rest upon us powerfully. But those things that have been roaring at us today, we take it by the teeth and we end its roar. 
that those things that would gravitate, gravi- gravitate, our heart would gravitate to the, the pouting things. Lord, rest on us to put <laughs> doubt in the power. Lord, that we aren't relying upon the affection, affirmation of people that can pull us away into things that take our covenant and our strength. God, we're thankful for your blood and we're reminded of what you did, that you had to break through, that you had to come through in the moment of agony before you even shed one drop of blood. You surrendered to your purpose and you walked in strength and power of the one who called you your father in heaven. So today we do the same. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28, it says this, for what I received from the Lord, what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. Before we take of this, the body and the blood and the covenant and the symbolism that is here, I want to take a minute for us just to reflect that as the psalmist said, Lord, if there's anything inside of me, there's any attitude, is there any veering, is there anything inside of me? God, I do not want to take this in an unworthy manner. I want to honor your broken body. I want to honor and remember the covenant of your blood that was shed. I do not want to cheapen it by just going through the motions. Lord, if our heart has drifted from you, we ask you to forgive us. Lord, if we're not doing the things that you've asked us to do, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, if we've committed sin, Lord, we're living in sin. Lord, we come running back to the blood that can cleanse us and, for, and, and wash away the sin in our life and remove the red in our ledger. Lord, today, we thank you for the broken body and the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you forgive us and we are saved by your favor and by your blood and through your son. If you just take the top of this off, there's a wafer in there if you haven't used these before. So today, God, we take the 
broken body of Jesus that was beaten, bruised, rejected for our healing and our wholeness. And we eat together. Lord, we thank you for the new and living way that comes through your blood. We thank you for the blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that cleanses our heart from a guilty conscience so that we can stand in right standing before you, that we can approach your throne of grace and receive the mercy that we need on a daily basis, that we can come boldly as a son would come, a daughter would come to his father. And we can have what we need for life and godliness that is found in your son's nature. Lord, we drink of the new covenant. Let's drink together. And let's just stand to our feet and give God glory. Let's just let him rest on us for a minute as we end this service. Lord, we ask for your presence, your spirit. God, on this first Sunday, as we're gathered together, Lord, you would rest on us, Lord. And Lord, if we're in the last moment, Lord, Lord, we don't know what tomorrow is, but God, just like Samson, Lord, we ask that in this moment, Lord, that you would, your spirit would come upon us again. And Lord, it would powerfully move that we would do more damage in the next parts of our life than we ever did in the first parts of our life. That we would strike against our enemy, the enemy of our soul. And Lord, we would see deliverance to ourselves. We would see deliverance to those people in our workplace, in our neighborhood, and in our family. Rest on us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us here at Real Life Church. And I hope that that message touched your heart, that the Holy Spirit is speaking something to you right now. I want you to take that one thing that the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you, and I want you to apply it to your life this week. Maybe it's a challenge. Maybe it's something that needs to be changed. But the Holy Spirit speaks to us so that we can become more like Jesus. And so that's what we want. And that's our desire for you at Real Life Church. want to remind you that all of our giving links are in the link above. Also want to remind you to like and share, follow our Facebook page, and also follow us and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us here at Real Life Church. We can't wait to see you again next week.